Welcome to the Slingshot Sim Racing Podcast. I'm Ellis. And I'm Chris. On the podcast, we get to know our Slingshot Racing community on and off the track, while also talking about anything and everything else sim racing related. You can check us out at slingshotracing.org where you can join our Discord. The podcast is brought to you by Apex Energy Drink and Martin Sports, but we'll talk about them a bit later. For now, let's jump into it. Well, in 2022, we've seen an epic battle for the championship between Aaron Wilson and Justin Smith. Neither one have really been able to gain an edge on the other. And like, I know personally, I have at least one driver I find myself side by side with each week. Um, and chances are you've probably got drivers and moments where you just can't seem to find an edge. Well, Slingshot has a little secret we're gonna let you in on. We found the edge. Apex Energy Drink is going to help you focus on every single detail that is important in those crucial moments of the race, whether it's the final lap at Daytona or the side-by-side -side battle into Eau Rouge at Le Mans. Most of uh, the energy drinks on the shelf are going to give you heart palpitations, and worst of all, they don't even tell you what ingredients they have in them. Apex Energy is formulated with your health in mind, avoiding artificial dyes and allergens, but it's still gonna keep you locked in during your toughest battles on the track. Uh, they've actually got four great flavors, including Blue Raspberry, Sherry Limeade, Bomb Pop, and Citrus Blast. My favorite's the Bomb Pop. Uh, go ahead and get yours now uh, and get 10% off by using the code SLINGSHOT10. That's SLINGSHOT10 uh, when you check out. Promise you are not gonna regret it. All right, welcome to week 17, uh, episode 17, actually. It's been more than 17 weeks, but uh, I'm Ellis Thomas, joined by Chris Smith, and it is two weeks until the Daytona 24. We've got the roar before uh, the Daytona 24 on iRacing coming up this upcoming weekend, but uh, I think that's going to be kind of what we decide to focus this show on a little bit. Normally, we have kind of an open segment uh, where Chris and I just kind of... Um, you know, talk about our week and all that. We'll do that a little bit, but uh, tonight we're going to focus on Daytona. We've got two guests, two of our Slingshot drivers uh, joining us. We've got uh, Nick DeCesare and Matt Kuntz. I think I said Nick's last name right, so I'm proud of myself. Uh, guys, how are y'all tonight? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having us. This is uh, exciting. It is. It's exciting. Chris, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm I'm happy to be here with you guys tonight. Yeah, absolutely. It's what I was telling the guys earlier uh, before we started recording. You know, I've been home for the past several days. My wife's got COVID, so I've been the nursemaid for a little bit. Um, you know, I don't I don't have to go into work tomorrow, so I don't have the Sunday scaries, which is is nice. Um, can you guys still hear me? Yep, we got you. Yeah, okay. My uh, monitoring went out, so just making sure you still had a copy. Um, so. Yeah, uh, you guys got to go back to work tomorrow, but hopefully we've got the Daytona 24 uh, to look forward to potentially. Um, we've got the slingshot season starting off technically this week with our preseason clash that uh, I know both of you guys are running in the truck series. Is that right? Yep. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll be there. Hopefully, you better be there. Uh, Chris and I will definitely be there, so we'll be counting on it. Um, but yeah, let's just jump into it. Uh, if you're listening, yeah, you're probably aware that the iRacing 24 Hours of Daytona is coming up. Uh, it is two weeks from this past weekend, and uh, they've got several time slots. I think the time slot we normally run is the morning session on Saturday. They've got a Friday night session. Uh, which is 2200 GMT Saturday. It looks like they've got an, eve- an afternoon session and an evening session. So 24 hours, that's a long, uh, a long time. And I know we talked a little bit about uh, this before we started recording, but you guys are thinking about doing it. You're not fully sure of your plans yet. It doesn't sound like, um, but let's just kind of pretend that we're all doing the 24 hours uh, and kind of talk about what it takes to to spend 24 hours or at least a portion of 24 hours in a sim race car uh, over the course of a full day. So y'all have run the 24 before, uh, correct? Yeah, we did it with a, a different league. I don't It wasn't last year. I think it was the year before we did. It was the last time we did it. Um, and we got, I want to say we finished fourth overall. We, we did the LMP two. Fast boy cars. I'm afraid to drive that thing. Um, I'll run over people. Now, now I'll just be the person getting run over. But um, how much practice do you guys typically put into preparing for a race like that? I think it's usually somewhere in the two to three week range. Um, not every night, but I think we start about three weeks prior to the race. I think yeah, for Chris, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that means uh, we're already behind. <laughs> Uh, the first thing we start to pick out is is what we want to drive. Um, I think probably GT3 is going to be the most accessible. Um, LMP2 is the former fastest class, which a lot of drivers tend to pick, but now there's the BMW, so that's going to add something even faster for everyone, and I think that's probably going to be the most popular car, which... In the past, always GT3 had the most splits. You know, you'd end up with splits with just GT3 at the bottom. We like think, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this this year you'll probably have at least BMWs pretty far down as well. So that'll be something you'll have to decide what you want to race anyways. So there's GTP ready, class. Uh, am, ready, I ready? am I ready for the race or am I ready to see the GTP coming up behind me? Are you are you ready to see those BMWs coming up behind you? Uh, no, because honestly, if I'm being fully honest, I'm just looking at the the information sheet on the forums right now, and I was not. I knew that the the BMW hybrid was out, and I knew it was a popular car, but I did not know it was faster than the LMP2s. Oh yeah, yeah how much it, faster are we talking about here? I want to say it was it was a good chunk, like five seconds, six seconds oh, around gosh. Daytona. So there are going to be people trying to, maybe we won't be, I don't know though. Like you said, it might be completely mixed up this year. Well, because it's a new car, everyone tends to like uh, congregate on that car and they might, I don't, I would be surprised to see it overtake the, as many GT3 cars there would, there's going to be, but who knows? I mean, I don't know. Well, we are running the Lamborghini. Um, uh, I know I've driven it a little bit. Chris is. I don't think you've taken any laps in it yet, have you? Have not. <laughs> oh, that's not... What did you guys drive in the in Road Atlanta? Was it the BMW? The Porsche. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We drove the Porsche, too. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, the Porsche, I felt like was the slowest car. I might be wrong, but based on the speed charts I was looking at, the Porsche felt like it was the slowest of all the GT3 cars, which are now, I guess, technically the GTD class. Um, I, I feel like I have a hard time keeping up with IMSA classifications every year because they seem like they change and the cars change. Um, but yeah, you've got the Audi, the BMW, the Ferrari, the Lamborghini, the Mercedes, and then the Porsche. Um, so it's a pretty stacked GT3 class, which is also probably why you see a lot of the people running those cars. Um, so two, three weeks out, we're officially two weeks out. Um, I know I've started practicing just a little bit. Uh, I feel like at this point, Daytona is just kind of that road course is ingrained in my mind as many times as we've run it. Um, so when you're practicing, what are you working on? What is the goal of, of practice two to three weeks out? I think first step is to decide obviously the car we talked about the next step then is set up on uh when we did the uh petite le mans we thought that the i racing endurance setup i think was the best one that you know as far as feeling goes daytona's kind of a special track because there's so so many long straightaways you kind of can't use the the regular i racing setups because they have a little bit too much downforce so you might have to figure out whether you want to go with uh, VRS setup or one of those companies, but you got to find one that you really like the way it drives. Cause obviously you're stuck with it for the whole race. Yeah. So and you- I think we tend to go for a more stable setup, um, especially for these endurance races. It's just not fun to be on the edge for, for 12 hours or however many that, that we're actually putting in time for. Um, so if we tend to a more stable setup, you know, our goal is really to get to the end. Um, and just see how we stack up with consistency. You kind of mentioned just a second ago, you know, you're stuck with it for 24 hours. How do you, do you approach these 24 hour races any different than the 10 or the 12 hour races? Like obviously you're going longer and you feel like you're going longer, but uh, do, do you approach them any different as far as like when you do choose a setup? Pretty much just what Matt said. You want to get one that, maybe isn't outright fastest but as long as it's stable and something you can drive and make it doesn't have to be the fastest lap time every time as long as you get a consistent lap time you're gonna win out over somebody who might crash out because their setup is such on a knife edge type of thing how many guys do you think are uh drivers i should say are out there running uh the vrs setup which I know is probably the most popular, I'd have to guess. Uh, although with all the setup shops out today, you know, they're probably got their own. Um, uh, percentage-wise, do you think the people running the iRacing setups are in the minority? I do. I I, I think that, you know, it, it used to be so community-focused um, where you'd be helping each other out on the forums and sharing setups and, and tweaking Um, But then, especially during the pandemic, it's just gotten so competitive that people want a faster baseline to start with. And then they can take the setup shop setups and and try and improve on that, you know, for their particular driving style. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed for sure is just Chris would probably agree with this. Just the past two years, I feel like trying to find a a setup in the forums, which used to be fairly easy for us, has just almost been impossible. Um, there's nothing, no one's posting hardly anything. Maybe we're not looking in the right places, but we're looking in the places that we've always looked before. Uh, and it's just not there. And I think that 
it is kind of comes down to what you mentioned of just how competitive it's gotten. Setup shops have kind of entered the game, which you could look at as a pro or con. Uh, that's another <laughs> another podcast. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think it, it's competitive. I think, um, you know, that, that brings me to my next point. Uh, the race strategy. Like, it sounds to me like you guys are more, and we know based on just kind of racing with you, you tend to be more conservative in your approach. Uh, you're not going to be the guys die bombing into the first corner, I take it. Uh, well, actually, there's a story about that. Um, <laughs> Please tell us. We were doing the uh, 12 hours at Sebring, and uh, this was before I had a rig, but I, I think Nick had just gotten one. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to drive six plus hours to Connecticut, and um, I'll, I'll cart my G27 and, and the rig. Uh, or and my uh, computer up up with me, and you know what? We'll do the twelve hours from Nick's house, and I, I think I had a little bit more pace at Sebring, so we decided that I would go first, and I I bended in the first corner, like just went straight into the tire wall. Oh man, um, that's brutal. I think we practiced a lot that year as well, and it was a whole deal because I was going to go up there, and uh, yeah, I bend it in in the first corner, first lap. What was the reaction of the team, other than Nick? I think I think we went and got pizza. It was just us, right? It was just me and you. Yeah, I think we we did go get pizza, and and just uh, we're sad about that effort. Oh man, I, That's a I that is a that just kind of hurts to even think about. Um, yeah. Yeah, Chris and I, I think we've run it. We've run it uh, just us two, the twenty-four hour race, just us two, the past what three four years, or five man. years? Yeah, wow. three or four years. Yeah, it's just that's, been the two of us. That's really impressive. Uh, I don't know if you watched it back, it probably wouldn't be that impressive. But uh, it's man, like I was telling someone that I felt like by probably like midnight or one o'clock, my eyelids were just they're drooping, and that's while driving the car. And you think driving would wake you up, but when you're driving in the dark at night, like even even with those track lights at Daytona, it's just like monotony over and over and over again, which makes me more tired. Um, so I'm I'm grateful that I don't think we're going to have to do that this year. Um, but that kind of brings about a whole new uh, strategy of like planning. Uh, you guys sound like you put a, a good amount of planning time in. You all have like a spreadsheet. I know people use spreadsheets. We're thinking about using a spreadsheet this year like organizing stints and all that. Do you guys have, have y'all done that in the past? Yeah, we had, uh, quite the plan, uh, when we did it, uh, two years ago, but it's, we used a Google doc, uh, in Excel and like, uh, that also you have to, to find out what you want to do with your tire strategy. Uh, do you want a double stint? Uh, I think triple was possible during the day and then quads were at, possible at night. So I think we were trying to do f- four stints in a row and then change drivers. But if you get damage or, you know, stuff happens out on track, it it's going to change everything and everyone's got to keep checking the uh, the list. If, if anything changes, you know, if I crash or whatever, then it sets all the times off by, you know, a half a stint or whatever to get the car repaired. So everyone's got to keep double checking. You can't just be like, oh, you know, I don't have to get in until 2 a.m., so I'm going to go to sleep till 2. And then really, you know, you're either going to be early or late. I guess early isn't a big deal, but late might be. 
Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Uh, just the the idea. Yeah, you've got a spreadsheet and your times are mapped out. But like you said, a race is dynamic and things are changing. Crashes, repairs are happening. Um, man, yeah, I probably honestly, I'm glad you said that because I wouldn't have checked my spreadsheet probably, um, which Chris would not be too happy about. I know that we've had some issues in the past, Chris. Didn't we? Didn't we start out? It was a couple of years ago, and you started the race, uh, which is a whole other thing to talk about. But you started the race, and we were—I can't remember if we we're planning on doing singles. I think we were doing double stints at that point. And I ended up having like my computer crashed, or something wasn't working right, and you ended up having to get back in the car for a whole other stint. Is that? I, am I remembering that right? I think that we had to do it the first year we did the twenty-four, and I think we had to do it again this past year in the twenty-four. Uh, cause you're, you had a VR, you had a VR headset issue this past year. Um, like it wasn't taking a charge, right? Oh yeah, that's right. It wasn't charging, which was yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that this year. I've got triples, uh, which is definitely less immersive, but a lot less headaches too. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, you know, you just gotta be. I mean, it's no different than a real life racer having to deal with a mechanical issue um, and go behind the wall. I mean, in this case right here, we're not going behind the wall. We're not losing any ground, but you got to get back in the car and, you you know, you got to keep on going when you uh, when you think that you're getting out of the car. Yeah. And like I was mentioning, you're starting to get tired, you know, especially yeah. as the race goes on. So those those issues aren't as as hard to deal with in the beginning, but at, later on the race those triple cents are getting more and more difficult, especially with the, you know, we've run two drivers in the past. So speaking of that, like, what are you guys doing to prep like race day? What, what kind of mental prep is going on? What do you have around you? Are you, do you have snacks, drinks? Like, I know I like to make a whole kind of event of this. My wife laughs at it, but I've got like all my drinks ready. I've got my snacks ready. You know, it's kind of like I'm it's base camp is in my, my office with the rig and all that. What do, what do you guys have going on? I try not to drink too, too much, obviously, because then you need to use the bathroom. But um, if you have more than two people on your team, you can kind of walk away for a little while and, you know, stretch your legs or whatever. Um, sit somewhere else instead of in your rig, which is kind of a blessing or stand even. Um, but yeah, you make snacks. Um, for me, I got to let my dog out in between stints, stuff like that. Yeah, it's just nice to get up. Um, I, I don't really have a pre-race ritual, but I will spend time away from the rig um, when it's not my turn to drive. Just sitting in one position for so long, uh, it, it just doesn't feel good. Even Even focusing on something that's not your monitor is big for your eyes. And then, uh, and I just remember my pre-race ritual is, uh, worrying about crashing in the race. <laughs> I think that's always my, my biggest fear. And it's always, it's definitely always realized I'm going to, I'm going to wreck at some point. Like, I don't think I've had a endurance race where it hasn't happened. Um, and you know, wreck off tracks and all that. Sometimes it's me causing the wrecks. Most of the time it's everyone else, but, um, I know that we always, uh, at least as long as we've done it together, Chris has always been the starter of the race. And somehow, like, shout out to you, Chris, for every year, and I hope it's the same way this year. The first lap is like, it's masterful. Chris makes it through about four crashes in the first eight corners every year. It's, 
I, I don't know how you do it, but since we've been doing it, we're able to pick up like 10 spots in the first lap every year. It's all skill, baby. No, I'm just kidding. It's a no, bunch of it luck. <laughs> no, it's all luck. <laughs> it's probably a mix, honestly, because you, I guess in some ways you're mentally prepared uh, for people. They're going to dive bomb, you know. You're going to have your your Matt Kunzes who dive bomb and take people out in the first corner. Uh, or was that Nick? Who was that? That was me. No, uh, I, was I, did, I didn't take anyone out, though, just myself. Just a, just a self yeah. We, we've, we've both absolutely crashed early in a race, like an endurance race before. It's not just Matt. Don't uh, slander him. I've also done it. You haven't lived until you've crashed out early in a 24-hour race. Like, it's a roller coaster of emotions within about two hours' time. Um, well, and... the, the thing that Ellis didn't talk about was the fact that, you know, I, I usually, you know, in, in the past, I have been the one that started the race, and I'm also the one that usually qualifies for it. And the whole reason why we're dodging about five crashes in the first lap is because I'm always like one of the slowest uh, five or six cars in the in the field in qualifying because I can't get qualifying in a 24 hour race down. But uh, that's the whole reason is because I can't even I can't turn a hot lap in qualifying. Seems like any year that we do this. Yeah, but that's there's I mean, when you go into practice, there's going to be guys in there running one lap at a time, two laps at a time, trying to set the fastest lap time. That does not matter at all, unless yeah. you're in, if unless you're in top split, or you're, you know the top three splits. Who cares what you can do in qualifying? Like in 24 hours, you're gonna if you qualify 20th, who cares? You have 24 hours to beat all those guys. So like it's not we don't put any effort into fast, fast slap or anything like that. And it always gives us kind of like a, it's almost depressing when we're 25th in practice, 26th, 30th, whatever. Come times of the race, our race pace is usually a lot better than a yeah. lot of the other guys in our split anyways. I think I was, we're usually the same way. Yeah, that's that's how it's been for us, too. Like, we we generally don't put any time into qualifying. And um, like you, you know, we usually, you know, we'll get in that practice session and we'll see where we're at. And then we qualifying, we see where we're at. We're, we feel a little bit depressed. But once the race gets going, you know, you get it after the mayhem of the first few laps, you just slowly start picking them off and you begin to feel a little bit better about your pace and where you're at. I was looking at the uh, 24 that we did last and we didn't qualify. Um, and we were about eight tenths off of the fastest lap, like fastest lap to fastest lap, but we finished one lap ahead of that team. Um, so that that's just kind of how we've navigated all of the endurance races. Yeah, I think that's the biggest, you know, piece of advice coming from a novice <laughs> endurance racer and me to anyone who's never done it before is like, you've got to focus on lap after lap after lap and not worry about anyone else's race, right? Don't worry about even picking up the spots because if you're just worrying about taking care of your car every lap, if you're worried about the big picture, then it's going to work out at the end. It, it always does. Now, there are, there are spots on the track where you're not going to be able to avoid someone's wreck. I know we've had that happen. Chris got rolled over, I think, in the second turn at Daytona a couple of years ago. Um, there's always going to be those people. But most of the time, if you just worry about racing, I know it's cliche, but racing the track, like, just take your time. You're going to be up there. You know, you might not be in the lead, but be top 10 top five at the end of a 24 hour race if you're keeping your car in one piece because inevitably 75 to 80 percent of the field is going to have an issue 
whether it's a big crash and a, a DNF or it is simply, you know, a small crash repairs or, or whatever, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. I think it's a lot easier now to get endurance uh, race practice because, you know, it used to be special events only, right? But you have the European Endurance Series, which is six hours um, normally, 24 hours when there's the French countryside race. Oh, you um, can't say it, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got the uh, IMSA Endurance Series, which is two hours and 40. Um, that's a team event. And then you've got two hours in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, I believe, with, with the GT4s and touring cars. That's a solo event. So, like, there's a lot more opportunity now to actually get endurance practice in a live environment um, that isn't just special special events. Yeah, that's. I, I do think that's a good point. I think that is probably um, good for this race overall because you are going to have a lot of people who maybe have at least a little bit more experience running more than a 30-lap race or whatever. Um, so... Do you think that the start is the most difficult part of the race? And I know maybe this is kind of a relative uh, sort of question, but you know, my opinion, I feel like it's the most difficult at the start because that's where all the crashes are going to happen and all that. But I know there, there might be difficulties along the way. Otherwise, what about y'all's experience? I think for me to start two, maybe one or two hours in probably the most dangerous time as far as getting into an accident difficulty is driving i mean you're just driving but because of everyone being still so stacked up together you have uh, a lot more chance of getting put in a bad spot you know pushed off the track crashed off the track stuff like that yeah and people are hungry to get positions and that's the best time to get positions because people aren't strung out yet across the whole track yeah people are probably going to make those moves that they um <laughs> making their dreams they're going to make in real life uh, or at least in sim racing early on because they can see the cars right in front of them which isn't always the case later on in the race um do you guys spot for each other like how does that arrangement work out is it a one person's driving one person spotting the other people are doing whatever um how have y'all done that in the past if if one of us is still in the rig uh while the other's driving we might say oh you know we can see this we usually zoom out like the far chase or zoom in the chopper or blimp cam something like that just to give like a, a heads up but usually if you if you hit click uh whatever it is start spotting it it removes the game spotter i don't like to do that just because he might be more reliable yeah this is true yeah they can see stuff that that i definitely cannot and there's always i feel like uh there's always like the rogue kind of uh phantom spinner you know where the computer thinks that someone's spinning and it kind of freaks me out but no one's actually lost control of their car um, well, I, know just, that I think they got rid of it now but there used to be that uh on the turn where you go back up onto the oval uh from oh the my gosh oh, yeah. <laughs> clips that little dirt patch yeah oh man yeah that's that is i got ptsd about that <laughs> yeah you get, you get the yellow flag every lap yes it's awful. Um, and that's like a pretty common place for people to spin out too. So it like really you is. You can't just go thundering in there. You got to be careful. Yeah, no, that's definitely, you were definitely right. Um, so if you're giving advice to anyone who's listening, who 
maybe hasn't run one of these races before, what would be like your top two or three things that you're telling someone who's running their first Daytona 24? Uh, and this is something I need to tell myself still. The number one thing is relax. Um, I get nervous in front in, in any race, but the big races, you don't want to mess up at the beginning and that it messes with you, especially when you're the guy who has to start. Um, the other one is practice. If you're, if you're not comfortable in the car, or you're not comfortable with the setup, even practice the other cars that are going to be in the race. So like, I don't work for iRacing. Uh, but you can buy the BMW. It's eleven ninety nine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you wanted to see what the other cars can do, uh, so you can kind of know what to expect, you could always do you know twenty laps in in LMP two, twenty laps in BMW, whatever you want to do. But doing the races ahead of time. So I think IMSA goes to Daytona the week before the actual big race, and I think next week GT three is one of the GT threes is at Daytona. So that's another. Yeah opportunity for you to get like matt said practice actually racing and in the gt3 series you'll have just your own class then the next week you add in the lmp2 and the bmw for practice getting (laughs) dive bombed oh gosh i think go ahead matt i'd say it's also important to be aware of your surroundings right so as the race goes on you start to build up that um, index of who the drivers are around you and who just you need to let go because it's just not worth fighting. There's always uh, going to be that one guy. There's so Chris and I know it every year. There's the one guy who we're like, Oh, he's coming up. He's coming up. Yeah. And you know, you let him go by and then they spin out and, and rinse and repeat for 24 hours. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's definitely, you can be right and still your car will be wrecked. You know, sometimes you have to just bow out, even though, you know, you know, this is my space on the track. You shouldn't be doing that, but. Yeah, it's not worth it. There's, there's that person in every discipline, whether it's an endurance race in the GT threes or it's a stock car race on the oval. Like there's always going to be the people that, you know, I'm faster than them, but it's just not worth it right now because it's going to put us both in a bad situation. Um, and that's, that's, you're going to just encounter a lot more of those people over the course of 24 hours. Yeah. In 24 hours, you have to just believe that it's going to pay off. You know, they'll crash doing that kind of move. You'll survive and you know, you'll get them at the end. Kind of like a tortoise in the, in the air type of thing. Yeah. What's our, uh, our good buddy, Dick Trickle said to finish first, you must first finish. Right. Is that right? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing. Something similar is like be predictable. Uh, you know, someone driving a GT3 car, I know that the LMPs and certainly the BMWs are going to be coming up on me. And I guess you could look at that twofold, um, two different ways. I suspect uh, if if you know if it's me and I know someone is coming up behind me, a faster car. I guess there are two options. Either if there's enough time, you can change your line so they can see you changing it, and clearly that you're going to give them that space. Or you can just run your racing line. It's on the responsibility of the faster car. And I think that's kind of the more acceptable, um, you know, kind of method, at least based on my talks with people is you run your line. It's the responsibility of the faster car to find a way around you, but just be predictable. Yeah. I mean, we drove the LMP2 in a league for, I think it was just one season, but yeah, it's, it's hard with the LMP2, especially if people are jumping out of your way because then you can never quite know 
what the next person's going to do. And that it leads to awkward interactions, I should say. Um, on entries of corners, you know, if they're going to jump to the outside and you're expecting to just, you know, roll the top and go around them, then you got to slam on your brakes and then you upset your whole car and sideways in the track, all that stuff. I correct me if I'm wrong, but because Ellis and I have never really done any type of faster class racing in the endurance races, but as a slower class car in the case of us this time with the GT3, the thing that the faster class cars probably ask for more than anything else is just to be predictable, right? For Absolutely. Me, for me, that's always what I would want. Um, like I said, you're always going to get people that are they're thinking they're trying to be nice and jumping out of the way, but if you're not expecting it, that's actually worse um, for you, for both of everyone. The GT3 is going to lose time or the LMP2 is going to lose time if you're in the BMW. It's just going to be a mess. Yeah, so the one thing that is predictable is that by the end of 24 hours, I know that I'm going to be definitely tired uh, as much apex energy as I, I will have drunk. Uh, at that point, I'll still be needing to take my eyelids open, probably to finish the race. Um, Chris, any last thoughts before we move on uh, from Daytona and kind of talk about uh, Nick and Matt just kind of go over their background a little bit? Uh, nothing else to add other than I'm, I always look forward to it. Uh, it's a, it is 24 hours, so it is a longer endurance race, one of our longer ones, but, um, it's, it's one of the more relaxing ones for me, uh, just because of the sense of the track is what it is. And, you know, it's not like Petit Le Mans, you know, where you're, feels like you're on the chip all the time, you know, just because it's, you know, a more difficult track there, but, uh. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. I got my fingers crossed that there won't be any technical glitches on my end or on iRacing's end, and it'll be a smooth 24 hours. Not a Saturday morning at Daytona unless we're spending 20 minutes in the queue to get our server um, launched. Yeah. So can't think of a better way to spend 20 minutes, right? Or more. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was the one year where it was like three hours. Oh, don't remind me. We uh, do. We shifted our our start time, didn't we, Chris? Did we end up doing? Yeah, we wound up doing a different time because of yeah, that. I think it was like the one o'clock or something. Maybe it may be two o'clock. Um, okay, so uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll keep you updated in, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, I guess that's the twenty first and the twenty second uh, of January. So yeah. Now let's talk about Nick and Matt a little bit. Uh, you guys have been racing with us. Uh, you raced with us in both of our first two seasons, I believe. Am I correct in that? Yeah, we did the 87s as well. That's right. It was yep. 87s. Um, so, uh, I'm just looking through, we always send a questionnaire to our guests and we kind of ask some questions. I'm seeing that Matt, you're an IT director at a local university. What is the dumbest tech question you've ever gotten from someone? Oh, that's, uh. There's a lot. Um, you don't I have can't to think of anything off the names. top of my head. Yeah. Has anyone ever, I know it's cliche, but has anyone ever not been able to get their computer to work and it's like been turned off? Have you ever dealt with that? Well, so not specifically, but um, we did get a call late at night one night. And someone had turned off um, a power strip in a server room. And 
we were trying to troubleshoot it over the phone. It wasn't really our equipment. It, it was just a lot of back and forth. And finally, someone was like, well, there's no lights on in, in this rack of equipment. We're like, well, there should be. You know, that, that's where all of this that's broken is located. So finally, we find out that someone had actually just gone into the um, to a like consumer power strip and turned it off. And it was, you know, a lot of expensive stuff that was apparently being powered by this power strip. I feel like it's Christmas vacation where they've got the, the electricity panel with all the different extension cords coming out of it and all that. And it's just that light switch that uh, had to be turned on to turn on all the lights. It's kind of what it sounds like. Um, woodworking. You're a woodworker. Uh, specifically talking to Matt, what do you, uh, what do you, how long you been in this? What do you like to make? So I started it this summer actually, but, uh, it was something that got passed down to me from my father who did it, um, for years and years and years. So, so far it's been a lot of workbenches. Um, I think that's where everyone starts. And, uh, so the first real project that I'm almost done with is a kind of large jewelry cabinet for my girlfriend. Oh, that's that's awesome. How long's that taken to make? Uh, I think it started in October, um, but it, it it's just been off and on um, with the weather and stuff like that. What kind of wood is it made out of? It's poplar. Um, nice. We're going for a color stain, so just wanted something nice and neutral. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so Nick, you are a tinker, a tinker uh, of sorts. Um, you got motorcycles, you've got a Camaro. It looks like uh, autocross. I think we've seen a couple of your videos in this Camaro um, doing autocross and track days. Where are you Where are you taking the car and what do those days look like? Uh, so far, Lime Rock. They have a couple of programs for autocross. They have like a, a dedicated autocross course. It's not just like, a, like cones in a parking lot. The infield of Lime Rock, they have it's sponsored by FCP Euro now, um, and I'm trying to work up the nerve to do a track day on the you know the normal Lime Rock, um, but you got to get some safety equipment and the car inspected and all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, we'll see if I can convince myself to do it over the summer. Otherwise, I'll just stick with uh, the autocrossing again. There's also uh, Thompson Road Course. They do a bunch of events. Uh, up the road a little ways, and then uh, in Mass, there's a another course, Palmer Motorsports Park, which I would like to visit at some point once I get all that safety equipment and try it out. I feel like there's a really healthy amount of road courses and racetracks up in the Northeast, um, which I guess I wasn't aware of. Grow, I'm not from the Northeast, but I guess I always think of like racing and stuff I associated with the South and I just up until kind of the past several years, I didn't understand that that racing culture in, in New England and the Northeast is actually pretty deep. Yeah, I mean, uh, Stafford claims they're the home of the uh, the modified, uh, which is Stafford is maybe 10, 15 minutes from my house and I, we go there a few times a summer. Um, it's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of rich people, so you get a lot of road course racing up here. Uh, I think that's probably a lot of it. Um, but it's pretty fortunate to have, I mean, Waterford's not too far either. They do all sorts of racing there. 
The only thing that's not big up around here, I think, is probably maybe dirt racing. That's more of like a mid-Atlantic and a south and midwest type of thing. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've been to the dirt track around here outside of Atlanta a couple of times. Dixie Speedway is what they call it. Um, and it is, if you've never been to a dirt track before, I suggest everyone make that trip at least once in their life. It is quite the experience. I know I took my wife uh, and she had never been to a dirt track before and it was like a whole, she enjoyed it. Like for someone who doesn't enjoy racing that much, she actually enjoyed going and kind of, it's just the environment. It's something you're not used to seeing those cars slide around on dirt. Um, now when you walk out and you got dirt all over you, that's another story. But um, yeah, dirt track, dirt track racing can be fun. Definitely entertaining. Um, so sim racing, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Uh, it seems like after just looking at kind of y'all's responses to our questions that sim racing is something that has been, um, you know, kind of a, a much more longer hobby for Matt than it has Nick. And it's, but it, ironically, it seems like it was Nick who introduced Matt to iRacing. So I guess Matt, like you've been, you've been doing this since back in the good old days, NASCAR racing one. Um, you said 1994. Talk, talk to us about what your experience with sim racing looked like in the early years. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I don't remember a lot of it because um, I was six years old, I think, at the time. Um, but my dad and I were somewhere. I, I, I think it was a Walmart. And they had a trailer outside of it with NASCAR racing. So we spent some time there. And I think that Christmas or maybe my birthday, I ended up getting NASCAR racing um, on, I'm pretty sure it was on floppy disks. And there was an extended track pack and, and all that stuff. And so I started there and eventually got a wheel and I, I wasn't even playing on my own computer at the time. Like my dad was bringing home a computer from work to play it because we didn't have anything good enough. Um, then I, I moved into like all you know NASCAR Racing Two and and NASCAR Racing Two Thousand Three and stuff and pretty much all of the the titles um, and then Kart and Grand Prix Legends as well. Do you remember May Christmas? I don't know if you remember. Maybe um, Nick remembers a game called Live for Speed. I don't know what made me think about this. Um, yeah, that was a big, big deal. Um, but it was uh, uh, for pay, so I never bothered looking into it. It was, it was a, it was a good game. It had a really, I felt like it had a good online component. Um, one of the first games I played online, uh, but a little good, fun road course racer that I felt like was kind of an approachable game. I don't know what made me think about it. What was your first wheel? Do you remember what for the wheel you started out on? No, I just remember it broke the um, spr the brake pedal um, and had to get it repaired somehow. Just an aggressive breaker. Um, so N Nick, you're uh, you didn't get into it until 2014. Yeah, I mean, serious serious into it. Would, I think I had a demo disc of nascar racing for remember those cds you'd get in oh, yeah. Uh, those oh, yeah. boxes and stuff zero boxes pc yeah. gamer magazine all yeah, the gaming yeah. magazines. i think i had a demo disc of nascar racing 4 but i didn't have a wheel or anything uh i, I used a joystick oh yes oh, yeah. we so finally found someone yeah. who used and a joystick so i would play with the joystick and it had only it was a demo so you, i think it had two tracks and it was like texas and something else richmond i feel yeah, like it yeah. had to be richmond maybe yeah yeah but i would run it 
just races over and over and i was not good obviously i was still a kid but i would like blow the the joystick out from like trying to turn harder and harder and harder and then uh you know eventually i kept trying to fix it because i just love taking shit apart but i'm oh, sorry i love taking oh, stuff apart. Fine. <laughs> and uh you know i eventually i flipped the little the switches around so i could even though it was the right side was now the left side, but it was not broken, so I could still play. It was the whole thing, but yeah, iRacing, I think I was around 2014. Uh, before that, Matt and I, we would play, what was it, R-Factor 1, Matt? And we, Yeah, yeah, I think it was, but we would, it's funny, I don't remember this, but I know we played something before iRacing. Yeah, we, we would set up like AI racing with like some R-Factor 1 mod. And we would just run Talladega and Daytona and try and start in the back and tandem draft through the whole thing. But I still didn't have a wheel, so I was I was on a controller. Matt, you had a you had like a G27 forever back then, right? Yeah, I got that um with iRacing, I think. Like I bought it after we decided to get into it and it's still in my basement. I, I just retired it what, December twenty nineteen, I think. Yeah, so we I mean, I didn't take it too seriously until I started iRacing. Then I bought, I started on a controller, but then I bought an actual, well, not an actual wheel, a wheel. Then I bought an actual wheel once I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's about when I started that. You guys bringing up, bringing up NASCAR Racing 4 kind of flashed me back to my memories of that game. Uh, it wasn't the first sim racing game that I started with, but I remember playing that uh, game with Ellis uh, when it first came out, and I can remember why it was so revolutionary at the time. Ellis, you might remember this too, but it was the first Papyrus game where you could turn a car over. Oh, yeah. Flip it upside down. And that was the big, like, we would just go to Daytona and Talladega, and that's all we wanted to do, was just see if we could turn the cars upside down. Yeah, you got to turn someone off off the off of two right off the corner or two yeah. yeah yeah turn them off of two hook them in the left rear and that, that was you know that was that was what we tried to do and <laughs> there was, was still grass then right yeah there was still grass and you could do it but i mean that, that game was you know it was a you know a big jump for a lot of reasons but that's one of my earlier memories of it yeah those those games i just feel like you have so many we talk about this it seems like on on episodes all the time but uh those those games those early nascar games i have so many fond memories of i guess maybe just the nostalgia but the paint shops you know which is oh yeah what i remember that being one of my favorite things to do is paint cars um you know i remember making as many like real life nascar schemes and i think nascar 3 was the one i did it the most um trying to get those sterling marlin uh coors light mountains on on that that car and what's the hardest thing i've ever done but somehow i made them look pretty decent um so yeah those those games i don't (laughs) i racing will always be a much better technical game graphical game but in terms of just like nostalgia and overall just the vibe and the way it hits the early nascar games like nascar 4 and nascar 3 definitely um stand alone in my book um, okay. I still remember um, switching between Goodyear and Hoosier in either NASCAR one or two. I think you, you could you could switch between them. 
Yeah, it was it was like a garage setting. Um, you could choose as effectively the tire compound, right? I had no idea the tire war came to a papyrus game until now. That is cool. I I, I think we need a new tire war. <laughs> I bet you the, I bet you the drivers wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> no, no, the reliability and those things. You think there's a problem with them now? Just wait. Everyone talks about how tire war would help but i think it would probably have the opposite effect um okay that's another podcast though so let's talk about um you know i'm curious to uh nick you you included a picture of your rig and man this thing is uh it's decked out uh you've got the simu cube will how do you like that the well the wheel before the only other wheel i have had have had sorry uh was uh csr fanatec wheel it Uh was like a forza tie-in so it was like a belt drive with a little tiny motor i think you could only get like two newton beaners out of it something like that so to go from that to the simu cube is just a huge change on top of the fact that that wheel was kind of worn out the old one where if you turned up or if you got even close to clipping the belt would slip it was a cog belt but the belt would slip then you're like you had wheel damage, but you don't. So you're driving down the straightaway sideways, but straight. Um, so to get rid of that, to have no more belt, you have the like instantaneous of the direct drive. Plus, it was kind of cool because at work I deal with servo motors all the time. So it's, it's kind of cool to have one at my house to say, yeah, I use one of those all the time. Um, but the way it feels, then you have the just the rims that you put on it. So much cooler. Uh, with all the buttons and screens and lights and all sorts of stuff you can add onto it, it's it's awesome. Now, who built their shifter? Who was that? Was that was that Matt or Nick? Uh, that was me. Yeah. Okay. What went into that? Um, theft of intellectual property. Uh, I saw <laughs> I saw a shifter online that a company was selling, and I was like, I can make that. And uh, I, my job, I work at a, a factory. It's a giant machine shop. They have CNC machines everywhere, but they have even manual stuff. So, you know, I was able to use a bridge port and make parts and cut sheet metal and weld it, whatever, to make a, not an H pattern, but just a simple sequential with two, you know, two switches and then some springs to give it some feel. It works pretty well. It's been through some changes, the original design wasn't that great but now it's pretty good and i just recently maybe last month i uh remounted it redid the whole mounting point so now it's nice and solid and it actually works really well now and then one year you'll redo it again because that's just what we do it's always a a work in progress i feel like the rig is never complete as i'm sure everyone can attest to yeah i mean not it feels nicer now that it's all done quote unquote but i think matt can attest to the fact that it's much quieter now and i think that's uh he might have gotten the most benefit out of it not having to hear it through my mic when we're racing yeah that's true it was a little bit loud but now you can't hear it at all i think chris have to used to have to deal with noise on my end a lot i can't remember what you know it's probably been from all sorts of stuff whether it's been the steering wheel or uh, I used to have bass shakers that now I think are muffled by Discord and kind of the, the um, you know, noise canceling and all that. But yeah, but I don't yeah. hear them anymore. 
Yeah. Um, cool. So just looking through, um, you guys, uh, I know that Nick is an IMSA fan. Matt, do you like uh, IMSA as well? Do you watch a lot of IMSA racing? Yeah, I'd say that's probably my favorite um, series. I grew up watching NASCAR and then uh, just stopped after 2001 until, I don't know, a couple, three, four years ago. Was it Dale Earnhardt uh, in 2001 that kind of put you off? Yeah, I think so. Which is, um, it's weird because that's like one of the first races I ever watched. Oh, it was my first race I ever watched. And that that's, yeah, that's, it's weird. I don't know why I kept on watching, honestly. Like, I don't, I, I just, I think it was, you know, I got to see crashes. I had never watched NASCAR before. Ellis um, and I have talked about that race quite a bit. And we've talked about how if, if the, if the wreck with Dale Earnhardt wouldn't have happened, that might've gone down as NASCAR's, one of NASCAR's greatest races. Um, you know, yeah, first I, don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's 100% right. At first race with the new big new TV package, you know, Dodge's first race, uh, the big crash that happened and everybody walked away from that one and all the lead changes, Michael Walter's first win. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for Dale Earnhardt's crash, I have no doubt that would have been one of the top five races of all time. You know, 100%. 100%. Um so you guys have both been driving with us in both of our seasons, uh, both the 87s and the next gens uh, in slingshot racing. Uh, which one do you like better? Do you like the next gens or the 87s better? Next gens, hands down. It's my favorite oval car. What do you like about it? Probably that it drives like a road car. Um, you know, it's it's grippy. You can You can really... I just felt very in tune with that car. Um, whereas I just don't on like the trucks or the Xfinity cars. They don't think I, I don't think I ever connected with it like that. I, of course I'm not a road racer either. Uh, and both of you guys are, I just, I never felt like I was able to get a full handle on that car. I never felt like I had the grip. I never felt like I had the turn, but that's, that's the driver. I think a lot, but, um, yeah, it, I feel like the next gen is either a car you really love or you really you really hate. Sounds like you're on the the love side, Nick. Are you on that same page? I don't hate it. I just it didn't feel right. I don't know. I'm not. I started i racing to race oval. We kind of got away from it for a long time. But when I started and I was racing oval, I was very good. At, I wouldn't say very good. I was much better in the B car and then the Gen Six. When I went to try and drive the next gen, when it came out, it just didn't feel right. And I think that's just something I probably had to get used to. I'm definitely much more used to it now after the season. I think I got faster as we went along. But uh, I don't know. We'll see how much or how different the truck feels to that now. I think that kind of matches my feelings uh, very, very well. I think it took me probably the entire season to get a, a grasp of what I what I needed to feel and what I needed to do with the car just because it feels just like you guys said it's just so much different than the typical oval car that I've always driven on iRacing I had done a, a, a season of officials prior to the 87 league um, with the next gens and 
it just shot my I rating up so much higher on oval by focusing on that one car versus doing any of the C or B um, or previous A car. So, um, yeah, well, you know, we've got a new season ahead of us. We've got the ARCA cars and we've got the trucks. Um, but what has been your favorite memory uh, in, I guess, you know, either one of the, the seasons you've run with us? What's been kind of the highlight for y'all? I think I have a feeling I know what it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was that race was in Michigan or California where we had a set of tires and most people didn't. And we kind of, we started in the back and blew through everyone with like 10 to go. It was, was Michigan. Like, yeah, that was definitely was... Michigan because I've got nightmares about that. I race. can still see it in my head. <laughs> Those cars just flying by us and just going like 10 seconds ahead of us. And nothing know, we can do about I, it. I know that sucked for you guys, but dude, it was so much fun to be fast. <laughs> Even well, though it was artificial, it was still so much fun. No, it wasn't, it wasn't artificial, you know, because that's what, that's what we do. Like we we know that the strategy is an important part of what we always want to have, you know, kind of be a core kind of part of our core philosophy is like strategy. And it's not always going to work out. It's not always going to work out in our favor and it's not always going to work out in everyone's favor, which is what makes it interesting because you never know what's going to happen. No, definitely. And, you know, I, I saved a set from Homestead that I still haven't used. I expect a credit for those. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always work out. But it was, like I said, even though normally we're not, uh, at least I'm not fast, it was fun to be able to be fast, quote unquote. That was a really cool ending that there was, what was it, it was like seven of us, eight of us maybe that had tires and none of us oh, crashed. Like there was 20 of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> none of us, you know, we ripped through the field, none of us crashed and then we were just battling it out at the front for like the last five laps. It was, it was really cool. For me, it was one of the 87 recruitment races. Um, again, strategy, though. So I think everyone ran out of fuel except Nick and I. Um, and I passed someone coming to the line uh, for the win. But, yeah, everyone ran out of fuel. Yeah, that was a very early. That was really early. I feel like that was one of our first or second recruitment races, if yeah, I remember. It was. It was. I'm I go back and look. Um, because I remember making the social media post and I can't even remember what your car looks like now, what it looked like then, but I do remember that. And you won, I think you won one of our recruitment races. Uh, was that Watkins Glen? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And the next gen, I think it was in the, the next gen car. Um, cool. So, uh, Chris, I, you know, it's always your, your question to ask at the end. I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, so we like to sort of put our put our drivers in the driver's seat, uh, literally like if they were, you know, if they were the admins of uh, Slingshot Racing League. Um, you know, we've gotten a sense of, you know, like where you guys stand on the next gen. And uh, just curious what you guys would like to see as far as a car that you would really, really like to drive in the future if you were in charge of Slingshot Racing League. I mean, uh, I'd love to see a road series at some point, but I know that uh, you don't really have the maybe enough users for that to have another series as well as the other two. That, but it would be cool. Maybe something slower on road. You know, uh, I don't know, like a slower open wheel car or something like that. But uh, otherwise, I'd say you guys are killing it on this league. It's been very impressive what you guys have been able to do. 
uh, in like was it been in like a year? Not even, right? So we st- our first season started in May of this past of of twenty twenty two. So yeah, so very impressive, I would say. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, I agree with Nick there. Um, of course, I'd like to see a road series, but on the oval side, um, the B car or even Gen Six would be interesting. I love the B car. The B car might be something we look into in the future. You never know. The um, the the Gen Six though, are we stuck with the the huge spoiler? Or I don't remember where they left it when when they took it out of uh, rotation. The last time I raced it, I feel like it had the huge spoiler. See, yeah, that's not that cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought it now made the fun st- races at Talladega. Now the COT, on the other hand, okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> now we're now we're getting crazy, guys. Now we're getting crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So you never know. We never know what's going to happen in the future. Um, we're always thinking. We're always asking people. Um, you know what they want to see, and uh, we definitely write those things down. We remember them. So you never know. You might see if we get enough people who want to do a road series. You never know. Might happen. Um, yeah, guys. We really appreciate you guys coming on. I know we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Um, you know, just because we've talked to you guys for, it's always a blast. Um, and we're just, we're happy to have you guys be a part of our league. Um, you know, you're great members. You're great, a great part of the community, which is always important to us. So do y'all guys have any shout outs, uh, you want to give anyone before you go who might be listening or might listen to it? Yeah. I'd like to say, uh, shout out to the team, very racing motorsports started as a joke, but you know, look at us now, slightly less of a joke. Um, and then, you know, all the rest of the racers, it's been fun racing with everyone, most everyone. Um, (laughs) but other than that, yeah, I just, uh, say thanks for having us on. It's, it was, uh, pretty cool to be a part of this. Yeah, it was. Um, so really my shout out goes to you too. I I really think you're doing a good job with the league and look forward to see what, uh, see what we do in the future here. Yeah, we appreciate it, it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So Daytona 24 uh, on iRacing coming up in two weeks. Um, We'll be talking probably more about that next week, but uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. We appreciate uh, Nick Ditches Disha. Ah, man, I knew I was going to screw it up. Dechesere? Do you want to correct me? Uh, Nick Dechesere. Dechesere. Ah, I knew it. I said it right the first time. I know I should have taken a practice in my head uh, and then Matt Coon. So we appreciate you guys coming on and uh, yeah, everyone have a good night. You too. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We just wanted to say thank you for your time and your interest in our podcast and really just overall. Thanks for listening. We work hard to bring these episodes to you guys each week. And thanks for being a part of our Slingshot Racing community. If you want to learn more, you can find us at slingshotracing.org. From there, you can find us on social media like Instagram, Facebook. You can join our Discord from the main website. And uh, if you're listening to us on Anchor, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, please feel free to leave us a review. Uh, The more reviews and the better reviews we have, the more people who will have access to this podcast. Uh, So... Yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll hope to hear from you and see you next week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.